I'm going to do this. I'm going to run for the United States Senate. The time is now for fresh ideas and new leadership. I'm running for student council because of you and for you. That is why I stand before you today to announce my candidacy for president of the United States of America. Welcome to the Arena Talks podcast, where we interview emerging political leaders from across the country. Today, we have Ben Wickler, chair of the Democratic Party of Wisconsin and former senior advisor and Washington director at MoveOn.org. Uh, he has so much more in his background, but I want to get right to the chase here. Ben, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much. Huge fan of the arena. So Ben, this is pretty quiet week for you, huh? <laughs> uh, you know, it's quieter than last week. Last week in Wisconsin, we had a Supreme, excuse me, a state Supreme Court race. We also lost uh, fights in the United States Supreme Court and in our state Supreme Court, where we were trying to get the election postponed and switch to all mail. So we had a pandemic election, the only one, uh, I think, in living memory in the United States, uh, where people were lining up uh, in potentially legal conditions to cast their ballots, but also we more than quadrupled the state's record for absentee votes. So that all happened last week. And then we had a few days of just like, you know, uh, our minds spinning around and we got the results on Monday and, you know, progressive forces, the, the, the candidate, the Democrats were backing won by 10 points. It was a landslide that no one saw coming. And we are still furious about the election, but we're thrilled about how, uh, the, the fact that right-wing voter suppression backfired. And so taking a step back, uh, what was, walk us through uh, why you had to go to the courts in the first place. Sure. So Wisconsin historically is a state uh, that votes in person. Uh, overwhelming share of ballots cast in our state have always been in person. We have same day voter registration. So people actually will come to polling places, register and vote on the same day. And as the COVID-19 crisis got worse, we had this April 7th election on our calendar. It was a presidential primary, but more, more importantly, it was a state Supreme Court race for a critical seat and 3,830 local seats all across the state. Mayors of Milwaukee and Appleton and Wausau, uh, county board, like all these different things. And the goal was to try to hold an, an in-person election, but it became clear that was not going to be safe. So our governor first called for ballots to be mailed to every Wisconsinite and Republicans immediately refused. They said it was a hoax. There was no way it could be done. Uh, obviously, delaying the election could create a way to be do, uh, to do it, but they said it had to go forward in person. Uh, we were in federal court trying to make it easier to get absentee ballots. A group of civil rights organizations were calling for the election to be postponed, which we supported. A federal judge said it had to be done by the state legislature or the governor or and the governor. Um, so he gave us some relief on an extended deadline to return absentee ballots, uh, adding six days but said that it really would take the state legislature and governor passing a bill to move the election. So then the governor called on the state legislature to pass a bill to move the election. And they had a, a 17 second legislative session where they gaveled in, took a breath, gaveled out, did nothing. Then our governor, Governor Tony Everts is a Democrat. He tried to use emergency powers to postpone the election. Republicans immediately sued, got uh, went straight to the state Supreme Court, which is dominated by Republicans, got a 4-2 party line decision, uh, to override the governor's emergency actions. And then a few hours later, the Republican National Committee had sued up to the United States Supreme Court to try to remove that extension on returning absentee ballots that we'd previously won. And they won there on a 5-4 partisan decision. And so suddenly, instead of having another week uh, of election, it was, this was Monday night, we had one more day and everyone had to get their absentee ballots either dropped off or postmarked uh, on April 7th. And 
that that was one of the like it really it felt like having your soul ripped in 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 pieces like this election that should not have been happening having it happen having people you know in full protective equipment or without protective equipment people with oxygen tanks waiting for hours in line to go to Milwaukee uh, polling places, 97% of polling places had been closed because poll workers had dropped out en masse. Because, you know, poll workers tend to be older as well, right? Exactly, exactly. And that, and like, it just did not need to happen at all. And I, it is hard not to conclude that the Republican Party insisted that we go forward with the original, you know, legal structure for the election because they thought it would help them win by suppressing Democratic voters. And, you know, none of us knew whether that had worked or not. And so... Oh God! Just reliving that day. And so, and and to so you're running around on Monday night, just trying to piece this election together. Uh, by Tuesday, the election itself is over, right? Yeah, that's uh, right. And then you had to wait a week to get the results. What was that week like? It was so surreal. It was so surreal. I mean, first of all, I was remain. You can probably hear it in my voice. Just furious at the fact that Republicans forced this to happen. Um, and, uh, we were also just analytically trying to figure out what went down and what was, you know, hard to understand is there was higher turnout than the previous year's Supreme court race in democratic areas, but also in Republican leaning areas. And so, you know, on the day the results were going to be announced on Monday, um, most people weren't even willing to make a projection. There was one kind of political numbers guy who said that he thought, uh, the the Democratic supported candidate had won by half a point to one and a half percentage points. Um, you know, other people thought the Republican gamut had probably worked. Just nobody knew. Um, we, I was spending that time. We've you know been collecting stories from voters who were disenfranchised. We were still very much looking at legal options to stop this from happening again. Um, we were ready to fight with everything we had. Also, there were questions about in a lot of Wisconsin they don't use postmarks, so ballots were arriving at uh, clerks' offices with little with like barcodes from being metered. Um, you know, or they all kinds of different ways. Do you count those ballots or not? If a ballot arrives on Wednesday, there's no way that it was sent after Tuesday, right? So like it's clearly what the voter did the thing they were supposed to do, but the postal system didn't do its part. There were also thousands of absentee ballots people requested that weren't delivered. So we were like tracking down all these stories. Um, I and and then, um, you know, assembling these spreadsheets, uh, getting ready. And then the results start coming in. And over the f course of a couple hours, it became clear that the reason there was higher turnout in Republican areas, as well as Democratic areas, is that Democrats found a way to vote even in Republican areas, overwhelmingly by absentee. Milwaukee had the highest absentee ballot uh, rate in the state. It was 87% of Milwaukee's votes came in absentee. And they jumped up the voter turnout from 2019 Supreme Court race, like a, a huge increase, as well as Dane County. In Republican areas, we had better margins than we've seen, um, you know, certainly for, for at least a decade. And we won a landslide victory in, in every part of the state. And Republicans, you know, they now have to contend with the fact that they tried to steal an election by weaponizing coronavirus. And people probably got infected. People will probably die because of what they did. And they still lost in a landslide. In fact, I think that the backlash that they triggered hurt them at the, at the, at the ballot box. And I, I just hope with everything I've got that they finally decide to change course and let people vote safely because we have another election in Wisconsin on May 12th, a, a special congressional election. And then we have a, a, a um, 
primary on August 11th for congressional races and state ledge races. And then we have November 3rd. Like That's a lot of electioning happening. My goodness. I thought in New York we were screwed up. Uh, why so many elections? That, that seems to seems almost aimed at low turnout. Wisconsin has um, every four years, the longest period without an election is 10 months. So we have election, we have spring and fall primaries and general elections plus special elections, uh, you know, on this very regular rhythm. And, um, that, you know, it's just the way that we do it in Wisconsin. We have some of the highest turnout in the nation in general, um, but it obviously drops off enormously for, for some of these local elections and primaries. Uh, but right now in Wisconsin, just everybody is so tuned into this. They're mad. They like the, you know, the, the number of absentee ballot requests, the previous record for absentee ballots was 250,000 in the fall 2016 presidential race. We had 1.2 million absentee ballot requests for this spring election this year. Oh my God. Uh, it is, it has transformed how voting works, how politics works. Um, you know, people now are trying to get on the ballot for the fall. They're going to have to, I was just talking to a state uh, legislative candidate who's going to have a drive-through where people can go and sign her nomination signatures <laughs> from their cars. That's smart. Uh, yeah. But ev like everything has changed. And I think we have learned so much about how to win in these conditions. Let's talk about that. So like we have a lot of people uh, who are part of the Arena community who are all around the country and are mostly in states that have something – resembling what you're dealing with, like some version of mail-in ballots. Some states are better than or worse than others in terms of how you can get the ballot and what reasons you have to give. Um, from a strictly tactical perspective, what did you learn and what would you advise campaigns around the country to start thinking about now, uh, systems to set up tactics to think about uh, and where to invest their resources uh, in a world where we can only assume there's a possibility that this thing either continues through the November election or comes back in the fall? Yeah. Uh, in Wisconsin, we had been specializing in helping people knock on doors. That was our obsession. We had uh, we had planned three giant waves of door-to-door -door canvassing before our April 7th election. But as we saw coronavirus you know, starting to sweep the country, we made a contingency plan to go all digital. And on um, March 15th, we announced that we were completely shutting down in-person operations of all kinds and switching everything to virtual organizing all focused on helping people vote absentee. So we've been trying every tactic we could think of. We we sent millions of text messages and phone calls and um, reaching out to people through relational voter tools, through uh, reaching out through social media, through people's social networks that way. Um, I know that there were outside efforts sending handwritten postcards to people. Uh, you know, We used video town halls and video chat when we needed to, to help walk people through the process. Wisconsin doesn't make it easy to vote absentee. You have to upload a photo of your voter ID to request an absentee ballot or put a photocopy in the mail. And that means if you don't have a voter ID, it's really tough. It's hard to get an ID when you know we're in social distancing land. And if you don't know how to upload a photo, it's also really hard. So we were doing a lot of just like tech support for people to help them figure out how to do this. And then we had this you know giant tracking system where we'd figure out where people were in the process and help them actually get their ballot in the mail filled out, get a witness signature on the envelope, do all these different things. Uh, I think the key thing is you just need a lot of touch points with people when you're in a multi-step process where it's like dependent on a mail system that is has variable <laughs> delivery rates. Um, it's, not, it's not one and done. It's not just a reminder. You're actually just helping people through a process. And that's a shift for organizers. But the good thing is it, it also extends the time frame for GOTV. It's not about the last four days anymore. I remember, you know, thinking, I remember talking to a really smart political analyst about our door knocking program. 
And he was like pushing back on the idea of knocking more than 10 days out from an election because the impact of a conversation at the door uh, largely fades away in those final days. But with a absentee program, with a vote by mail program, you can do the critical steps weeks out, you know, and even months out. Like we're six and a half months from the fall election right now. People can sign up for their absentee ballots for the fall now. And once we know all the people who've done that, we know exactly who our universe is to work with to get those absentee ballots returned. So it's it's fundamentally reshaping how we're going to organize for the rest of this year. And it's a model, you know, the six most contested swing states, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan, uh, Florida, North Carolina, and Arizona, excuse me, yeah, Arizona, all have no excuse absentee voting. They're all states where people can request absentee ballots and organizers can help them go through that process. So, you know, this could be an election that's won and lost well before the, the final stretch, the final few days. Uh, we just have to do the work. Yeah, in many ways, that's refreshing. I think as Democrats, we're conditioned to be uh, pessimistic and to think that the Republicans are just, you know, the New England Patriots and they're always going to find a way to to pull out a victory. But I think what, what you're describing is a situation that we very much can control. Like, like it is very much in our hands uh, whether we out-organize the Republicans and win this election. That's exactly it. And think about, I mean, think about 2016. Voting laws were actually quite different in a lot of places then. Um, you know, Michigan and Pennsylvania only have no excuse absentee ballot this cycle for the first time. Uh, but if you can imagine, if we'd had most of the votes we needed in the mail before the Comey memo came out, like we could have had a whole different election. The last, the like last mile, the kind of like last few days, late breaking October surprisey stuff, it doesn't have an impact if most people have already put their ballots into the mail. And it does, it just gives us more control. It, it means doing things differently. It means investing more early. Uh, it means building different kinds of systems, but it's stuff that we can do. We can do it virtually. You know, we are, our, our folks are often younger. We're, we have like more technical facility. Uh, we can really do this. Yeah. Any, any surprising uh, digital tools that folks should consider using? I mean, I'm, I'm so, I'm a dinosaur when it comes to this stuff. Like, what are we talking about here? Just really good Google sheets or are there actual new tools and technologies that folks should be uh, mindful of? Uh, my, my two favorite new tools are uh, one, relational voter tools. So Empower is a fantastic tool. It's actually made in Wisconsin, a uh, point of personal pride for me. Um, that used to be called uh, My RVP, My Relational Voter Program. And it's a tool that lets you essentially match your contacts on your phone to the voter file and then choose people who you're going to be responsible with following up with them through whatever medium you know works best for them. Uh, using people's real world social networks as a as a vector for organizing, letting people take responsibility for organizing their own friends and you know neighbors and parents and all that kind of stuff. It has a giant impact. And historically, uh, those tools have been high impact, but low uh, uptake. People haven't wanted to do that. But right now, people have all the time in the world. <laughs> you know, like a lot of people, um, especially if you don't have young kids, and I do have young kids, but a lot of people have, you know, there's, there's spikes in Netflix viewing and YouTube viewing. You can take a little while and go through all of your friends and ask them all to request absentee ballots. And that can be recorded in a way that, you know, makes it part of an overall organizing system. That is a, a giant impact. Um, and the other one is reach. And is that only available to Democrats, correct? Yeah. That these tool? are both. Yep. Okay, pr pr great. Progressive, progressive oriented tools. Um, so uh, Empower, or there's a, a number of different tools. Team is another one. Um, there's a, a number of great relational voter tools. 
And then Reach is the other tool that I really like, which was created for AOC's campaign in the Bronx because she was talking to people outside of subway stops and there wasn't a way to easily find them on the voter file and ID them. Um, so they made this tool. The thing about Reach, you can use it for high traffic canvassing, which is the kind of original use case, but you can also do it to just look up people that you know and ID them and you know message them, update their contact info. So it's a little bit less automated than, than traditional relate, uh, relational tools, but it's something that is great for organizing for, um, you know, folks who just want to like go through people they know and, uh, and reach out. And I think my guess is we're going to invent a million other ways to organize virtually over these next six months. We just need to like try lots of stuff, see what works, scale it up fast. Well, so a lot of people are, are losing sleep right now over this terrible pandemic that we're in, but before we were losing sleep over this, we were losing sleep over what's going to happen in November. And I'm sure we'll get back to what well, we look forward to the day when that's what what we're worried most about. Uh, I think your state is central to folks' anxieties right now. Uh, it is a state that we as Democrats used to take for granted. Uh, and it is now a state that uh, some people think is trending away from us. Uh, what, what do we know so far? This is probably an incomplete data set to say the least uh, this year. But what do we know so far about um, where the trends are heading and what we need to do to win that state? So Wisconsin is statistically the tipping point state, both in every Democratic model I've seen and the Trump campaign's model. Trump says, if we win Wisconsin, we win the election. If we lose Wisconsin, we lose the election. That's a quote from his um, uh, uh, senior advisor and, and campaign counsel who was recorded doing a briefing that was then leaked. Um, it's the state that either side has to win. And if you look at the battleground state polling, it's the state that's closest um, Basically, like Pennsylvania, Michigan, we're actually in a stronger position in, in, in polling than we are in Wisconsin. So if assuming those are blue, whichever way Wisconsin goes determines the presidential outcome. Um, if you hop over and get Arizona or uh, Florida, you know, Wisconsin's off the hook. But we're kind of the fulcrum right now in this giant seesaw. And um, Wisconsin is a state that has had traditionally quite high turnout has been incredibly contested. We we're the closest state in the country in 2004. We we're even closer in 2000, um, except Florida became closer than us. Uh, so it's a state where there's a lot of political battle. And that means you kind of have to do everything. You have to do base mobilization and persuasion. You have to work in, in rural Wisconsin. You have to work in suburbs. You have to uh, connect with voters in communities of color, African-American voters, Latino voters. There's a large Hmong population in Wisconsin. We have tribal nations in Wisconsin. Uh, the smallest swing, the smallest bump or dip in turnout can actually tip the state when it's that close. Uh, now, I would prefer to have a Obama-like landslide. Uh, he won huge victories, and then Scott Walker posted a huge victory, so he zigzagged for a few years. But our campaign plan is to do all the different pieces you need to do. And um, I, from what I can tell, Trump's plan is to try to turn out every voter he can and suppress everybody else. So we have this kind of gauntlet of walls Republicans are putting up to getting our folks out to vote. Uh, the, the biggest thing when you look at who is one in our state, it involves just like showing up and listening a lot, being present, being hands-on, tuning into local issues as well as the national narrative. Um, the, you know, right now Biden is depending on the poll sort of one to three points ahead here. That's too close, much too close for comfort in my view. Um, but the, the thing we got to do is to show everyone we understand what they care about, to listen to them and then show them how we're going to fight for them. You got to be on people's side and it is possible to win big victories here. We saw that this week. We saw it with Tammy Baldwin. Um, it is, uh, you know, in part, it'll be these huge external forces about 
whether the economy is still in free fall in November, whether people see how badly Trump has mismanaged the both the economic crisis, but also the public health crisis. Um, but it's also going to come down to like, we've lost 10% of our dairy farms in the last year. We'll probably lose a ton more this year because of COVID. Do you have a plan that actually helps agriculture centric communities? Do you have a plan to help get lead out of the lateral pipes in Milwaukee? Do you, you know what I mean? Like these, these really local things that touch national policies and just affect people's day-to-day lives so profoundly. And healthcare, most of all, has been the thing we hear about at every door. And with COVID, I mean, that's probably healthcare and jobs are like the the central things. You have to have a credible way to fight for people and you have to show up and tell them what that thing is. And so what is going on uh, with redistricting in Wisconsin? I, I read this statistic that uh, the GOP won I think it was 161,000 more votes statewide in 2016 and came away with 29 more seats in the assembly. But then in 2018, Democrats won uh, basically the equivalent amount, maybe even more votes. I think it was over 200,000 more votes than Republicans in 2018. And the GOP still came ahead with 27 more seats uh, in the assembly. So the GOP is getting fewer votes statewide by a pretty significant margin. Um and is coming away with essentially the same amount of seats than when they were uh, clobbering the Democrats statewide. Uh, what? How is that even possible? Wisconsin is arguably the number one example of extreme partisan gerrymandering. There have been books written about it. After the 2010 uh, Tea Party wave, uh, Republicans had a trifecta in our state, and they ran a project called Red Map and ran very sophisticated mathematical models to create maps that essentially prevented uh, Republicans winning less than 59 out of 99 seats. And um, in 2018, we won 54%. They won 46% of the votes. They got 63 out of the 99 legislative seats in our state. I mean, it is it is so carefully done. There's this, there's this um, myth, this idea that gerrymandered districts are set up so that if you, if Democrats do a little bit above the threshold, then Republicans lose a lot of districts. And it actually doesn't work that way here. <laughs> like we did very well. Maybe if we got 60 or 70% of votes, we could get majorities. But like, you know, Obama won a landslide victory in 2012 and Republicans still had a legislative majority. That's how they've, that's how they've held on to control. So what we're focused on this year in the fall is, I mean, I would love to get majorities if we did the mathematically almost impossible, but the key thing for us is to stop the GOP from getting a super majority in each chamber. They have only three seats to go in our state assembly and our state senate. They have told the Republican assembly speaker, Rob, speaker Robin Voss, who became famous wearing uh, personal protective equipment and telling people it was incredibly safe to go out and vote. You might have seen the photos of him. He has told reporters that he wants a supermajority. And if they get those three extra seats in each chamber, they'll be able to draw gerrymandered maps for another decade. They'll be able to gerrymander through 2032 when my eight-year-old is graduating from, from West High School where I went. And we have to stop them. We have to do everything humanly possible to stop them from doing that. Now, if they don't get that, oh, if they don't get that supermajority, what happens for gerrymandering? How does because I know we have the governor, but I can't imagine he has sole responsibility over gerrymandering. If we can stop them from getting supermajorities, then they will draw maps in the state legislature, and our governor can veto them, and they won't be able to override his veto. So at that point, it goes to the courts. And what's happened historically is. Um, it gets fought out in federal court, and the f- a federal judge appoints a special master who tries to draw uh, fairer maps that is some, either a compromise between the two or each side submits what they think is the most fair map and he chooses one. There's a few different ways that they can do it. Uh, the governor has proposed a, a, 
a fair maps committee that is like a task force that's working on you know coming up with a proposal for what fair maps would look like uh, but essentially you know if republicans don't have the ability to override a veto you have something that is substantially fairer and if we had fair maps you know you take an election like 2018 we could get democratic majorities and you know that is this decade my goal is it might not happen in 2020 but i want us to have a blue trifecta so we can undo the damage republicans have done to our democracy here we can actually have a, a fair playing field where the government is responsible responsive to and accountable to the public as opposed to like a tiny handful of republicans in gerrymandered districts and if we can do that we can make real changes in people's lives on on schools on healthcare, on you know, roads all these things that people need um that has to that's what we can get if we can win a democracy and why doesn't the uh why don't the maps go to the state court state supreme court that's republican because they're also congressional districts got it that's great news yeah taking a step back from what just happened over the past two weeks, then that's a good segue into, you know, it's it's not every election season that a state Supreme Court seat uh, gets the amount of attention that uh, that yours did uh, over the past few weeks. Why was it so important? So Wisconsin state Supreme Court battles have been incredibly hard fought for a good decade. A lot of key uh, factors affecting people across our state, like anti-corruption investigations into Scott Walker, wind up getting determined by our state Supreme Court. This time, there was a critical case that our Supreme Court had deadlocked on around purging voters from the rolls. A, a right-wing group had sued to try to get our Elections Commission to kick 234,000 Wisconsin voters off of the voter registration list um, after our, our Elections Commission had determined that the list was unreliable and they wanted to individually verify people. So Republicans sued up to the Supreme Court. Dan Kelly, who's this right-wing justice who was appointed by Scott Walker as a thank you gift for defending gerrymandered maps and defending him in corruption cases, actually. Uh, Dan Kelly recused himself from the voter purge case because he was up for election, and it would have caused a backlash if he'd purged voters from his own electorate. And the state Supreme Court deadlocked 3-3. Uh, one Republican crossed over. He then told reporters that he would consider unrecusing himself after the election. So it became clear that the Republican path to getting these voters purged was winning Dan Kelly's uh, re-election. Donald Trump himself endorsed in the race. He started tweeting about it over and over. Uh, outside, Republican super PACs poured huge amounts of money into the race. It became this kind of giant cause on the right. And for us, you know, our democracy was on the line. So we poured ourselves into organizing. We have a massive field organization across the state. Uh, we were planning to knock on doors, but instead we were doing, you know, text messages and phone calls. It wound up becoming this national center of attention. And Trump was actually talking about it during his coronavirus press briefings in the in the final days. And the GOP, I think they thought that they were going to steal it. I think they thought that they were going to have it in the bag. Trump tries not to get involved in these things if he doesn't think he's going to come out looking good. Um, and voters... Voters rebelled. They, they rose up and fought back. And this became a nationalized race, even though it was for a state, uh, officially a nonpartisan seat. Um, and I think that's kind of a sign of the times for Wisconsin in the Trump era. Well, uh, congratulations again on this victory. As we're closing out here, what can folks do to help uh, ensure that not only we win Wisconsin for the presidency, but that we ensure that you break that supermajority and prevent them from getting it? So the critical thing in Wisconsin is not waiting until the last second. I have no doubt that there will be people making panic donations in the final two months of this election uh, to stop a Republican supermajority to defeat Donald Trump. Uh, but if folks want to contribute right now, this is when it makes the biggest difference. You can do that at wisdems.org slash donate. And the other thing is that 
in a virtual world, it doesn't matter where you live, you can volunteer for us. You can spend as much time as you want making phone calls and text messages and doing other things to help us win. And you can sign up for that at wisdems.org slash volunteer. Uh, the last thing is if you know people in Wisconsin who are thinking about running for office, there are a ton of local offices and state ledge races in the fall. Uh, this is a good time to get involved in that. So, you know, help people find our website, uh, signups, contact us. Uh, we want to have candidates all over the place and people need to get their nomination signatures in, which is a virtual intensive process over the next few weeks. So run, volunteer, donate. Those are three huge ways to turn Wisconsin blue and end the Trump era this fall. Well, Ben, thank you very much. Thank you. Really grateful for all your work.